Hello, and welcome to another episode of Simon Says Let's Talk Business on Business Radio X. This is your host, Al Simon, with Sandler Training. And our show is Simon Says Let's Talk Business, which is all about best practices. Uh, we, we talk with high-performing business professionals to sharpen our skills, learn new ideas and concepts, share best practices, and really get to know smart people. And we've got three really smart people with us today. So, listeners, you want to take notes, uh, especially toward the end of each segment as we talk with each of our guests because you're going to want to capture their contact information because these folks know what they're doing and you're going to want to engage with them. So our, our guest today, we have Tricia Houston, the founder and COO of MMR Live Experience Design. We've got Josh Sweeney, the founder of Founderscale. And we've got Larry Talbert, the president of Talbert Insurance Services. So let's, let's start with Tricia. Tricia, welcome to the show. I'm reading here that uh, you're, you're, you have an experience design consultancy and you put human emotions at the core of your work, which is interesting about human emotions. Tell us more about that, if you would, Tricia. Great place to start, because actually where we're at is because of my background. So I've had kind of a dual career, if you will. I started in marketing, uh, so I worked in an agency. I'm an Atlanta native, so I've been in Atlanta my whole life. Um, an agency called Ignition, they do experiential marketing. So very cool stuff, Olympic work with Coke, uh, a lot of uh, global things. It was a lot of fun. Very logistics heavy, as you can imagine, getting the torch around the world for the Olympics. I can imagine. I remember. Yes, absolutely. And um, so that was my start. Um, and then I went back to school and, and started studying market research. So much more technical, much more academic. Um, and then once I came out and worked in market research for a while, I was like, hmm, I think there's things that need to go together for for these two disciplines. You know, some of the things in market research can be very academic um, and things in experiential can be uh, obviously very emotional driven and, and connecting with people. So that's the vision for MMR Live Experience Design is through research rigor, but also human connection, helping businesses close experience gaps because okay. really that connection point with people is what helps businesses grow. So help me understand, experience design means what, really? <laughs> a lot of things. So um, it, it's funny. We get asked that a lot because, um, you know, we experience stuff all day long, right? You have customer experience interactions with restaurants and uh, retailers. So that's part of it. Okay. Um, but really, at the end of the day, everything is an experience, which also means everything that you do is marketing your company. So what payment systems you have, how you close out invoices, um, any process you put forward with a client or with a consumer counts as far as experience goes. And experience design is intentionally thinking through all those touch points and finding the ones where there's the most frustration and closing those gaps. And you know, at the end of the day, it's funny because you might think what you're doing is not innovative, but your customers will because they're so frustrated and they're like, wow, uh -huh. somebody solved it for me. <laughs> can you give us an example? Maybe a real world example. You can take the names out to protect the innocent if you want. Is there an example to give us an idea of what it is and the results yeah, you get? Absolutely. So, so I will. I mean, we do a lot of work with uh, retailers and restaurants. So in the, okay. in the QSR space, um, you know, especially during this year, a lot of restaurants yeah. kind of not, I mean, they, panicked in a good way and that they acted and pivoted and decided, okay, we're going to start doing curbside delivery. However, 
they didn't have a plan in place. This wasn't a system that they had intentionally designed. Um, they didn't know all the things they didn't know. And so while they might have been able to kind of fill that gap when we were giving companies a lot of grace and, you know, March and April and May, they didn't set it up to be sustainable. So that's an example we're seeing in the marketplace now is people that companies and businesses that pivoted in April to adapt to the current environment now have to come back and fix those experiences so that you don't get frustrated. I mean, have you done like take out it somewhere that like wasn't already doing it before the pandemic? <laughs> yes, it was a little different. You're right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Back in the dark ages of March and April. Yeah, that was that was a tough time. And I think everybody is ex able to. Well, most people are able to, as you say, pivot or adjust and uh, and fine tune those processes. So, OK, that's that's the experience. Right. So the customer experience as well as the experience offerer, like the restaurant or so on. Correct. Right. Yeah. So there's the employee side of it. Right. So, I mean, you think ah. about the customer is the end receiver of, of what work is put in by the company, but really who they're having to coordinate is their employees, yeah. um, train them for what the new process is. It's communication, communication, <laughs> communication um, is really what it comes down to. I feel like most of the time when we're working with companies, it's a little bit like business therapy mm. <laughs> yes. and then a lot of implementation. So it's, training manuals and processes and, and sometimes software. Like I think oftentimes some people think about CX and you get lost in the sea of software platforms that are available and software is good, but it, it's not always the answer. Well, actually Josh is going to help us a little bit. I think uh, on, on some of the software programs out there, the platforms out there too. So we'll get a chance to talk about that here in a little bit. Cool. That'd be good. Yeah. So you mentioned restaurants, uh, retail that you work with. What other kinds of, uh, companies or people do you work with? Also service businesses and even in um, B2B. Um, so we have worked with um, some of the folks in like logistics, large shipping companies. I can talk uh, publicly about a project. We, we did a project with UPS because um, we, we were shortlisted for a, a market research award for it, but helping them figure out how to service small businesses better as it relates to things beyond shipping. Yes. So how can they go beyond being just a shipper uh, to small businesses? So that was more in the innovation space for us. That must be interesting because, of course, market research is very you know, quantitative in nature. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, uh, what numbers intense type stuff in a lot of cases and yet innovation. So did you have a hard time switching between being creative and, and, and digging into the numbers or how do you do that? <laughs> it, it can be a challenge. Um, my team helps me there. So that's why, you know, on any project, you know, we, it, my group, MMR Live Experience Design, we're like a, a specialty group within a larger market research company um, based here in Atlanta. Um, about 30 people total. My group is, okay. you know, four and we extend out from there. So we also rely on them. So they have a history. They're that strong quantitative shop. Um, so I can grab someone and we partner up and make a full project team. Um, I have a background in it, so I haven't known enough to be dangerous and enough yeah. <laughs> to understand it, but it does. You have to have somebody in the weeds and you have to have somebody pulling up because to your point, it's very hard to try to do both. So what happens when you have a client who wants to innovate in a certain crazy way, but the numbers don't say that will work? How do you handle that conversation? <laughs> That happens very often, um, and, and it can be tough because, you know, sometimes, and I, 
you know, before in, in between marketing and this, I spent some time at the Home Depot. I was on the consumer insights team there. Um, and I can tell you, even being on the client side, you sit in those meetings and you show the numbers and they're like, okay, well, we're going to go do it this way anyway, because sometimes the market research is either brought in too late and they just want to check a box. So it, it, it just takes a little bit of tough skin and, and just knowing that you're part of the process, but not the end part of the process sometimes. Okay. Well, that's, that's, that's where communication expertise comes in, right? Right. <laughs> Let's that's talk right. about this just a minute. What are you trying to accomplish again? Yeah, that would be good. That's right. And that's typically, yeah. I mean, for us, figuring that out, especially with MMR Live Experience, that we're not going to head down this path if somebody's not willing to change. That's a key distinction. And, and same with our parent company, you know, that decision, the framing of what the problem is, the hypothesis, the politics, the timing, like what's driving this ask? We're not a library. We're a consultant, yeah. right? So don't just say, hey, I need this awareness number. Yes. Or I need, you know, appeal numbers for this concept. Yes. Uh, you know, it's interesting about that. You are a consultant, which means they're paying you for your ideas, your recommendations. Mm -hmm. And and I once had a client tell me, Al, we don't pay you to be nice to us. <laughs> <laughs> and I learned a lot from that comment, you know, because that's really true, right? I mean, I don't have to be the nice guy. I've just got to make sure they get results. That's important. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And oftentimes with experiences, we're helping people close gaps. So we're telling them their baby is ugly. And um, I'll bet. It, we can't be shy on it. And sometimes our clients are grateful, right? So that they can take the less political route yeah. <laughs> to success. Let us be the bad guys. I can imagine that would be true. Yeah. yeah. So how's it how's it been for you personally in terms of of having to transition to using video conference tools like Zoom instead of being face to face as much things like that? Tell us how that's been for you. Yeah, um, it definitely was. Uh, a lot of pivoting back when everything started because we were very much so deep into going out to places to observe things and talk to customers oh, directly and obviously all that got cut off yeah. and so we had to kind of reset and zoom's been fine um we're still able to connect directly and have you know like we're having a conversation today with users and get some rich feedback we've developed new methods to send customers they like to a restaurant on a mission and we capture both like survey kind of feedback or video feedback, like through their phone, you know, they take pictures, they take videos. Um, it's worked pretty well. I feel like we've really gotten to a group. I was really proud of the team kind of rising to the occasion. And I feel like we've built a better system now faster because of the shift we had to make. We always thought we would do a digital version of what we do. We just had to do it very quickly. <laughs> and that's going to help you down the road, right? Got to be. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Excellent. Okay, so you were telling me about a recent study that you did that included 70 different brands across five industries. Tell us more about that. Yeah, sure. So our whole philosophy, you know, similar with most consultancies, right, or ad agencies, you, you tend to hire the one that kind of has the philosophy you want to, you know, bring to your business. So our, our philosophy we call experience built. Um, and this study with 70 brands, we went out to uncover and confirm you know, what makes those brands that pretty much, you know, we hold up as like the standard in customer service. So uh, the Chick-fil-A's of the world, USAA in banking or T-Mobile and telecom, um, what is it about it that makes them stand out? And so the research um, evaluated the brands with recent customers, so folks who had interacted with them recently, 
across eight different dimensions, um, which are our design principles that go into this whole idea of experience built and basically sorted everybody out. And what we found is there's a very few cream of the crop. So again, the Chick-fil-A at the Costco's and a really big sea of sameness in the middle and a few that fall to the bottom. So we use it as a starting point really when working with clients to say, hey, look, here's the reality in your industry. You're kind of stuck in this middle yeah, and not much different than anybody else. Let's help you get up here. Let's help you rise to the top and really look differentiated. So identify the gap and then go for the gold standard there by closing the that's gap. Right. Good. All right. And yeah. I, and that's available on, on our website. If we, it's free research we have out there. If anybody you know listening wants to take a look, it's available on our website at MMR. Yeah. In just a minute, I'm, yeah, just a minute, I'm going to get you to give all of your content information for oh, folks sure. that want it. I do have one more question for you. I understand you have, uh, right now, you're looking for some help. You're looking to interview business leaders. Is that right? I am. Thank you for bringing that up. Yes, we're looking to do a series um, into, into 2021. So folks who are either just starting on kind of this journey of, hey, we want to become a more experience-driven organization or culture, or folks who have already taken the journey, um, over the past few years, um, want to do some interviews, ultimately um, heading towards some sort of publication, TBD. <laughs> Don't never want to overcommit on that sort of thing. But if anybody's interested, I'd, I'd love to hear from you. Okay. And the way to contact you is? For that, um, email would be best. Uh, so you could reach me at Tricia, T-R-I-C-I-A, at M-M-R dot live. Okay, that's that's Trisha T R I C I A at M M R dot com. Dot live. Dot live. M M R dot live. L I V E. Uh-huh. That's it. Okay. And your website to see the, the different things like that study? Yeah, the same thing. So just M M R dot live. M M R dot live. Nice. Mm -hmm. All right. Trisha, it's been great having you with us. I hope you hang around while we talk to Josh and Larry. Absolutely. I like will to. Be here. Okay. Excellent. So I'm sure our listeners are going to want to contact Tricia uh, to get involved in uh, that study, but also to um, to check out your work and see if they want to use your services. That would be excellent. Once again, this is Al Simon with Sandler Training. This show is Simon Says. Everybody's played the game. That's why we have that name of the show. Unless you didn't, you know, in case you didn't figure that out. Simon Says. Let's talk business. And so our second guest today, Josh Sweeney. Josh, the founder of Founder Scale. Welcome, Josh. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Good to have it. So kind of continuing the marketing discussion here, more into the nuts and bolts of where marketing and sales come together, right? Isn't that where you live? That's it. All right. So tell us about Founder Scale. How'd you get here and what do you do? Sure. So Founder Scale, we help B2B businesses increase sales. And we do that through sales and marketing operations efficiency. So you think about how do you align sales and marketing? How do you implement sales and marketing systems and processes to really make those teams effective? And of course, now my company does sales training and coaching. Right. And, in a, and a lot of times I get frustrated because they don't have, well, they might have systems. They just don't use them. They don't use them right. They don't have them set up right. So it's awesome what you're doing. And you mentioned a word to me called sales or a phrase, sales engagement. Tell us what you, what you, what you mean by sales in, engagement and what is your philosophy there? Sure. So with sales engagement, it's all about the interactions between your sales and marketing team and prospects. And so what we look at is what kind of engagements do the sales and marketing team have that help them 
you know, engage with those prospects is really what it comes down to. So if you think about it, a lot of times there's not enough engagement happening. If you go in to do sales training, you may look at it and say, well, you know, this is really going to help you when you're talking to the person, but we need more, we need more conversations. Like we need more meetings. We need more engagement events. We need more webinars and reasons to reach out to people. And so we look at the types of engagements that they have and how can we facilitate more of those engagements uh, so that they can sell more. Do you typically start with what are the best metrics for your industry or, or does that even matter to you? We look at a lot of the metrics um, from a B2B perspective and how do they compare to other either industries or other uh, companies and organizations that they would be competing against. Okay. So you, you look at, uh, at, at what they're measuring, what should they measure, and then how do you get the data? Exactly. So we'll come in and we'll look at, you know, what does their prospect database look like? Is it clean? Are they following account-based marketing best practices? You know, are they going through the numbers? So an example of that would be, you know, one of our favorite um, numbers is act, last activity date. So we'll actually go into the CRM and say, okay, what was the last activity date across your entire database? And what we'll find is somebody spent a lot of time and money you know, building a database and have 20,000 contacts in it, but they've only contacted those people, maybe, you know, they've contacted 200 in the last 30 days. Well, you built this database, you have all the tools to do all this outreach, all this sales engagement, but none of your sales team's contacting them, right? That gives us a big indication of why we're not setting more meetings and we don't have the number of sales conversations that we want to have as a sales team. That is such important information that they just need, but they do need to act on it. Absolutely. So you, you you talk about sales first, and this is a philosophy near dear to my heart, right? Yeah. You know, I, I was taught my very first sales job, right? Nothing happens until a sale is made. But it's really a lot happens before the sale is made, isn't it? I mean, you really have to understand who you need to be contacting and, and, and what is the messaging that you need, and then, and then what is the action needed to make the contact, right? And where do you fit in all that? Yeah, so that sales first philosophy we have really talks about and leans towards the alignment you have to have in B2B between sales and marketing team. So in many organizations, the disconnect is marketing is off doing marketing things yes. and they're creating content Whatever that is that they and do they're targeting <laughs> people and, you know, they maybe do an advertising. We know what all those, those items are. And then sales is on the complete other side and they feel like it's a disconnect. So a yes. common thing somebody would say in sales is, well, marketing's gener generating all these leads, but not none of them are good. Okay, well, that's a big indication there's a disconnect. So with the sales first philosophy, we look and say, how is what is marketing doing to complement sales? And how is sales also doing their part to leverage that information? So an example would be, we can do a webinar and marketing can just market that to the newsletter, or we can do a webinar, they can market it to the newsletter and sales can use it as an outbound engagement to get people on it. And now all of a sudden they're working together. And we've seen just that one thing uh, we've seen a 37.5% in, um, increase in the attendees of webinars. So now you're engaging at a different level because those teams are working together. Okay, now Trisha's getting excited because you're starting to name numbers like that. So <laughs> yeah. there we go. All right, good. And you, you mentioned the word account-based marketing. What is that? 
So account-based marketing, I find it to be a little bit of a misnomer because it has the word marketing in it, but it's really, we look at it as the alignment of and marketing all yes. the way through the process. And it's everything from how you're marketing to how you're engaging in sales and also how you're doing the delivery and does all of that match up. So another example we heard, you know, going back to the example where marketing's generating leads and sales doesn't like those leads, right? They're not good enough. And then the next step in that is, well, now service has to deal with a client that we oversold and that's a bad fit. So account-based marketing is really aligning all three of those departments to create a flywheel effect and really build a successful organization. Josh, I could talk about this forever because that that mantra that you know the leads are are poor, <laughs> yeah, is is way too often an excuse by the sales team not to do their job. I mean, a lead is a lead, right? I mean, you can't really control the quality of the lead once you've got it in your hand. It is what it is. It's great to have uh, to have platforms and, and expertise like yours to make you know to get the leads better, richer. But any kind of a lead can be taken from you know, the contact information and turned into something if the salesperson knows how to do that. Even if it's someone way low in an organization, you know, too low for to make a decision, you can still use it and get up there. And so when you're providing information through the platform, through the data, uh, then my job is to help the sales team understand how to do that, right? Isn't that where we fit? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think there's a lot of ways to work a lead. And, yeah. um, you know, when we start looking at volumes is where that starts to get challenging because, we can find ways to work a lead, but we also want to prioritize leads. So if you have a volume issue, not every company has a volume issue, that's a good problem to have, you know, but when we look at how, who marketing's targeting and whether that fits the ideal client profile, things like that, now the sales rep is spending more time on a, a higher priority lead than one of the other leads that they can work. Okay. Um, so that's where we're looking at the data to decide, you know, what should they be working or, or is there a big mismatch? Is marketing sending them could marketing be sending them, you know, leads that aren't really a fit based on their business? That happens as well. Sounds like for you that discovery phase is so important, right? Finding out what their ideal client profile is, how are they going about doing it today, what systems are they using today, and what should we change? Does that exactly. sound fair? Yeah, and it's all metrics driven. So we're big on empirical evidence is what we call it. So we really look at, we switch over from like a lot of marketing talks about ideal client profiles. We call them real client profiles, CPs. Okay. And we actually go pull a list of the 300 last clients or the 100 last clients. And we do a lot of data analysis and really show them, you know, this is, these are the areas where you've been really successful. These are all the other outliers. So how do we align marketing with the areas you've already been successful in based on your current clients? So nice. using that real live data. I'm going to change what I say to, to real, uh, real client <laughs> profile as opposed yeah. to idea. Because it, it does say it. That's perfect. I love it. All right. So let me ask you a question. Do you post or use your own content? Post or use. Yeah. So that's another one of our kind of outward mantras. Um, it goes back to what we talked about earlier. You know, marketing can go out and write a great blog post and have that awareness level content. But what we do is we wanna go one step further with that sales and marketing alignment and operations, and we wanna get the sales team to use that content. 
So just like the webinar, you can post a webinar and get a certain number of attendees, but you can get 37.5% more if sales uses it. So with that content, we work with the sales team and say, okay, here's a template. Here's how you send that content to somebody that's in the middle of your, your sales cycle. Here's how you send that to your prospect databases to provide value and hopefully potentially start a relationship. So we want to not just post content, but we want to use content and that's part of the alignment. The here's how is key there, isn't it? Definitely. Yeah, yeah, how to do it. Awesome. Because that, you know, that's the secret sauce, right? Okay, you got good stuff, you got good content, now what? And most people really don't have an idea of best practices and how to use it. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And I mean, that's where we see a lot of the results is the compounding, the compounding effect. So, you know, you get a certain number of attendees if you go out on your newsletter. But if you then send that out uh, through sales and you do a couple of other actions, all of a sudden the results are can be, you know, 30 percent, 40, 50 percent more by taking that extra action. And there's all kinds of other benefits that come into play. OK, so I, I've got to ask you, I, because I, I think a lot of our listeners want to know. And maybe you're not comfortable naming names, but what are the best platforms, the best, the best tools out there for sales enablement? What is it? <laughs> yeah, so I'm I'm a hundred percent biased because we're a HubSpot partner. Okay, um, but they are one of the top platforms. There's, there's a reason why you're a HubSpot partner. There is a reason. So you know, it's it's easy to adopt. It's easy to use, and we focus mainly for all the B2B companies we work with. We're in more of the small space, so one to twenty million dollar companies, and it's really built for them. Uh, from a pricing perspective, and it's also built in a way that you can adopt more of their tools over time. So like with HubSpot, you can get a tier one, you know, class A, I would say CRM for free just by signing up. Right. And then you can add as you go. So a lot of what they provide, at least for our clients, is very in line with how they're growing and how their needs will grow over time. However, I, I, do, However, I, I yeah, agree with yeah, you. There's a lot of other options. Well, and, and not only that, but a lot of folks have sunk a lot of money into CRMs like Salesforce.com. And, and so if they wanted to have a, a better front-end tool for enablement, but they didn't want to get rid of Salesforce.com, does it still work well? Oh, definitely. So, I mean, Salesforce is another top, you know, top CRM. And there's certain mm -hmm. ones you can go with where you're not really going to go wrong. Um, you know, and there's others where, you know, they're just lesser names or don't have the usability for your sales team. Um, so looking at those top options and, you know, there's Salesforce, there's also other add-on tools. So when you talk about sales enablement, enablement platforms, you have things like Salesloft, who is a local Atlanta company. Good one. Amazing tool for outbound SDRs. Yep. And so those just vary based on the size of the company and the budget. So if it's a larger organization, if we're dealing with a, you know, 40 to $100 million company, a lot of times we'll see Salesforce with sales loft, terminus, other account-based marketing tools that are really specialized and help them scale up for a larger team. Whereas if it's a smaller company, you'll we commonly more subspot and things like that. Yeah. So it varies to the organization. You know, this this is this is an important thing to talk about because I see it so much. I, I see you know the, the the sales systems. You know, and I'm working with the sales team and sales leaders, and we're working on skill sets and processes. But their their tools are. Are, are either poor tools or they're they're good tools but they're not being used correctly and um, and so what you do is such a needed service in the industry and there's a lot of thrashing about trying to trying to get better data trying to get the salespeople to use the data better both sides of that equation they need you Josh they need you I'm telling you you got to get out there better we'll get out there more <laughs> we're so working on it speaking of that how can our listeners uh, contact you and your team and get going on this kind of thing Sure. So you can reach me, Josh, at founderscale.com. Okay. 
Founder Scale, F-O-U-N-D-E-R-S-C-A-L-E.com. Josh at founderscale.com. That's it. That's the best way. Excellent. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is great. So, Tricia, you know, you're bringing that, that, the, the combination of, of brand experience and market research. Josh taking the data, making it into usable tools that, that just get the sales leads flying. This is good stuff. This is really good. See, you, you turn into Simon Says, let's talk business, and you get good stuff. I'm trying to tell you here. This is your host, Al Simon, and our third and final guest today is Santa Claus. I mean, uh, Larry Talbert with uh, <laughs> Talbert. <laughs> I couldn't, I'm sorry, Larry. I could not. You know, given the time of year, I just, yes, just couldn't I understand. Help. So, so Larry, Larry, president of Talbert Insurance Services, and I'm surprised that you're with us this close to Christmas because I know that normally you would be very busy this time of year doing something yes. else. Yes, yes, I would. I would. I, uh, I actually am a working Santa, usually, not just not this year. Yeah, this year's a tough year for that. <laughs> tough year for that. Yeah. You're exactly right. Yes. But all those kids. I know. I just, I really miss, uh, miss doing it. But, but, you know, I've got a big trip coming up in a uh, couple, couple of weeks. So yeah. I've got to, you know, I've got to visit them all. I can't be sick. All right. There you go. <laughs> Social distancing is really important. That. Yeah. <laughs> so, Larry, you, you, you've, had, you've had Talbert Insurance Services for how long now? Uh, 35 years. Wow. That's a that's a couple couple of years. Which is hard to believe since you're only 34 years yeah, old. Yeah, exactly. It's really <laughs> amazing how you did that. I'm not sure. Actually, it's 36 years. I I I forgot I was a year older than I was last year, wasn't yeah, I? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the time does march on. It does. Yeah. It, it yeah. just keeps going. So tell us about Talbert Insurance Services. Uh, well, we're an independent agents agency that uh, uh, services both commercial and personal lines. Uh, we represent over 30 quality insurance companies. So. Uh, the unique thing about being independent is that we don't work for the companies, we work for the customer. So when you contact us, uh, we are able to provide multiple quotes from multiple carriers, figure out who's going to be the best fit for you, who loves you the best mm-hmm. <laughs> from a pricing standpoint, who loves you the best as far as the coverage goes, and uh, make recommendations based upon that. So that means you have to know an awful lot about a lot of different insurance carriers and what they offer, Absolutely. policies and so on. It's continuous study. And match them up with your customer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have marketing reps contacting us all the time, explaining uh, the newest, uh, latest endorsements and policy changes and things uh, for those for their insurance uh, programs. Yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, one thing that's really important for everybody to go to their homeowner's policies, just to you know, to something really specific, is check to make sure there's not a reindeer exclusion on your policy. Oh, what? <laughs> a reindeer exclusion. A reindeer exclusion. What happens if Santa's sleigh lands on your house and has damage, causes damage with the reindeer hooves? You mean some insurance doesn't cover the, re- the Santa Claus and reindeer Absolutely. damage? Absolutely. you got to make sure it's got that endorsement on the policy. So <laughs> I never thought about that. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a lot of stuff to think about. Even uh, as an insurance agent, I'm, I'm always thinking about these things. <laughs> well, how about the chimney? The chimney's got to be a certain size for some of those gifts, right? I mean, how does that yeah, happen? That would be a that, problem. You know, somebody could leave a fire on or maybe yeah. a <laughs> pot of boiling water. You know, it could really create some uh, real hot foot for Santa. But <laughs> yeah, well, does Santa have insurance for that yeah. kind of thing? I don't I mean, know, you know, I'm, I hope he has a good disability policy. That's <laughs> <laughs> if he doesn't, he needs to give me a call, I think. <laughs> 
At least he's got a full year to get over it. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I hear something. Oh, yes, oh, I do. Yeah. I do. I think maybe he's coming. I don't know. <laughs> I always worry about, you know, the mess it makes on my roof, you know. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, those reindeer have been snacking while they've been flying around. They so, do. Uh, they do create some mess, yes. Yeah, there's that. Okay. <laughs> but we digress just a bit. Yes, we did. Just uh, a bit. Entirely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. So let's talk about COVID again because we have to. But COVID has, must have, have changed a little your business a little bit, maybe a oh, lot. Yeah. Absolutely. We we uh, have our uh, – the customers are – for personal lines are shopping a lot more because they've got some time, you know, mm-hmm. it's, and, uh, and the dollars make sense, you know, it, it makes sense for them to be paying more attention to that. So we've been getting a lot more calls on personal lines, uh, recently business insurance. We're staying in touch with those guys, uh, because workers compensation obviously is, is changing some of the, uh, uh, policy terms, like for, for example, when people are working remotely, uh, there's some credits and things that can ap- apply on workers' compensation. I never thought about that. Yeah. yeah, so we, you know, we want the customers to call us and say, "Hey, you know, this is what I'm doing different than what I was doing before." Yeah. Um, and then for us, we're actually we've gone uh, remote, uh, working remote. We have three or four people that come to the office uh, every day, and then the rest of us all work remotely. Um, we still answer the phones just like we've always done. We've set up the systems and made sure that everybody. Uh, could always get in touch with us, which is really important. I'll I bet it is. Yeah. I hate voicemail. I mean, literally, I hate leaving voicemails, and I hate having to listen to the voicemails. So yes. I'd rather answer the phone, <laughs> deal with it one time, and not have to play phone tag with somebody. You know, it's and, interesting about that because pre-COVID, the the uh, numbers suggested that people just don't listen to voicemail. They just don't. So we were teaching our clients to, to call because we don't want to just – Sell, try to sell through email to call but when they get voicemail to simply to, to, to leave a leave a long voicemail and then after that to send an email that just says Larry I just left you a voicemail that's all the email says right because then, right. then you're going to have to listen to the voicemail but you if you but if you'd prefer to respond back an email you can do that which is which was working pre-COVID what we found out after COVID was that people now are starting to listen to voicemail more often because their phone is right there by them by their side all day long, next long, and it's really changed things. Have you seen that too? Yeah, uh, you know, for us, uh, even even now, our, one of the problems that uh, we've always had in the insurance business, a lot of a lot of agencies have gone on the ignore, uh, <laughs> which uh, you know is a voicemail. Yes, <clears throat> and uh, is the fact that when a customer calls you, typically they have a need right then. You know, it could be a claim issue, it could be a they're buying a car, they could be having a uh, purchasing a new house some problem has popped up a lot of times it's not yeah. just getting quotes and uh they want to know then and i hate waiting on anything i want to know what the situation is yeah. i get telephone calls from other insureds that aren't even insured by us <laughs> really asking hey you know can you tell me what's going to happen on this loss because they know we're going to answer the phone and they know that we'll be responsive responsive and we'll give them as the best possible advice we can uh, and hopefully at some point in time earn their business you know it's interesting because I know that a lot of a lot of companies insurance companies and agencies included uh, have been relying on website and and you know Q&A and, and type in your question here and we'll get back to you and that's just so frustrating so to have a, a company like yours that's going to answer the phone is huge gotta be so old school I know, <laughs> I know. 
anti-technology person yes. you yeah I, I hated it yeah. I, I had a voicemail program i bought one uh, back years ago i had it on for about oh three or four months turned it off said i hate this and so we went to traditional type voicemail in the event that somebody has to leave a message and they can't get us uh, i always recommended people if if it's after hours if you send an email most of the time we all get our emails on the phone now uh we can respond right then yeah. Uh, I don't know how many claims I've had to handle on a Saturday or a Sunday uh, or late at night or early in the morning uh, where somebody's frantic to get somebody on the phone just to be put a, put a rest or put yeah. a, you know, have their mind put at ease. Yeah. Uh, once they talk to somebody, everything's fine. Mm-hmm. Once they communicate with you, it's all okay because they know that you're involved. They know that you're on top of it. Yeah, that's really, really important in this industry. But if they didn't want to call you, they could send you a letter that says, "Dear Santa." They could do that too. Yes. Yeah, that would, <laughs> it would get to you at the North Pole. Yeah, they, they don't even yeah. have to put anything other than just North Pole on the outside. They're, they're, it gets <laughs> there. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> you know, it's about about that kind of thing. You know, you mentioned weekends and and late at night and stuff, and that, and you've been doing this for thirty six years. Yeah, you know it. God bless you for doing that. I mean, but it's part of the deal, right? It's part of being an independent insurance agency that takes care of the customer, customer focused. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, this all came, uh, my father was an insurance agent. He started in the insurance business in 1963. So that was a, that was a long time ago. And I still remember, uh, probably about, oh, 25 years ago, we had a, we had a couple different customers. One, one of the largest food processors in the entire state that, uh, the building burned. And while the fire was still on, he was on site. Uh, wow. Governor Zell Miller at the time, uh, there's a picture of him because we, we drew the policy so that their ordinary peril was covered. Uh, and all the employees in the small rural area of Bacon County <laughs> <laughs> uh, still worked and still received their pay all through the reconstruction phase of the plant. Uh, another instant, uh, there was a uh, uh, sawmill that caught on fire we get a telephone call saturday my father's standing up there with my mother took my mother with him <laughs> and he is holding a hose about that <laughs> on the on the flames about i was like that. oh my gosh but that's what that's what it takes you, know, you just yeah. have to just jump in there and, and do whatever you can to make sure the customer is happy well folks you heard it right from larry's mouth if you want insurance company that really cares about you Albert Insurance Services. Larry, what's the best way to get a hold of you or your team? Uh, the best way is to probably just go to our website at www.talbertservices.com. And on there, there's a link for all of us. It's got all our contact information. It's got pictures of all of us. It's got pictures of Einstein, which is a... He's, our, he's uh, on your team? Yes, Einstein's on our team, too. Okay. And Einstein is a 23-pound, uh, or no, I'm sorry, he's 32 pounds, uh, Flemish giant bunny rabbit. He's, really? a, he's our file clerk. He can read minds. He's amazing. Uh, you can actually see some YouTube videos. On that, that is one big there. rabbit. It is a big bunny, I will oh, tell wow. you. <laughs> okay, so www.talbertservices.com. Talbertservices.com. T-A-L-B-E-R-T services.com. Yeah. And then you can always call us at 770-497-9400. And if uh, someone doesn't answer, just press zero, and that goes to another live person. Someone is going to answer. Somebody's going to answer. Unless everybody's on the phone. And don't all call at the same time, okay? <laughs> okay, we'll try to make sure our listeners sequence their calls. Yes, tell everybody to sequence their calls properly. 770-497-9400. Yes. All right, very good. Thanks for joining us, Larry. It's great. Thank you. 
Thanks yeah. for having me. Give my best to Santa. Tell him I've been good. I will. I okay. will. Well, actually, I'm, t- I'm telling him yes. right now. Yeah, I've been right. good. Yeah, okay. Just, yeah. Yeah. You're, you're good. I okay. agree. <laughs> All right. Well, good. Larry Talbert, Talbert Insurance Services, Josh Sweeney, Founder Scale, Tricia Houston, MMR Live, Experience Design. Thank you all for being here. It's been great. Great show. Thanks for coming. So, as, as always, we'll finish our show today with a sales tip. We have listeners that, that uh, send me questions on sales and we we take one each time and and answer it this particular listener today sent in this question what do you do to get in the door of an elephant sized company all right so elephant sized company is uh, is our euphemism for uh for an enterprise you know very large company lots of uh Lots of layers of organizational structure, lots of people, you know, a bunch of VPs and SVPs and EVPs and folks like that. And, and, and that is a different kind of animal than normal, um, you know, face-to-face selling. It's a different way to do it. Uh, so how do you get into the door of a company like that? Well, first of all, it's a long-term play. I mean, it is a long-term play. I mean, we're talking about committee buying teams, maybe RFPs involved. You know, uh, uh, probably um, long sales cycle itself, maybe high dollars involved. And uh, so there's lots of complexity, complexity, lots of moving parts. And so when we're thinking about getting in the door, it's really getting in the doors, plural. I mean, it really is. You really have to work LinkedIn. You have to work your referral chains, find somebody who knows somebody, get, get introduced in there, and, and then go as high as you can possibly, as possibly as you can once you're in. So get referred in high if you can, call in high if you can, um, use LinkedIn a lot, uh, and do your homework, right? Do your homework, because when you talk to these folks, you better have a compelling reason why they should be talking to you that's customized to their world. Uh, You can't just do your standard uh, cold call and and say, hey, how are you today? I'm Al Simon with Sandler. I'd love to talk to you about. That is not going to work in that situation. So you have to change the pattern. We call that pattern interrupt change the pattern, do something different. I've heard some crazy things out there. And one of my favorite stories is the, the guy who bought a, a length of 2 by 4 It turns out that you can send a 2 by 4 in through the U.S. Postal Service as long as it's less than a foot long. So he cut this 2 by 4 into 11-inch lengths, got a Sharpie. On one side of the 2 by 4 he wrote, you know, he addressed the uh, 2 by 4 to the person in the company he wanted it to go to. On the other side of the 2 by 4 he wrote, if you don't engage with me and my company when I, when I call you next week, you might as well hit yourself over the head with this 2 by 4 Okay? <laughs> Sent it in the U.S. mail and then waited a couple days and then called. Didn't care that he went through the regular switchboard because all he had to say was, I'm the guy that sent the 2 by 4 Because everybody in that company knew about the 2 by 4 And so that was the way he got conversations going. So, you know, be creative. It's a long-term play. Be patient. It's going to take you a while. Uh, and go as high as you can. And that's what I would suggest for how to get in the door of an elephant-sized company. Once again, this is Al Simon with Sandler Training by Simon Inc. And this has been the latest edition of Simon Says Let's Talk Business on Business Radio X. And as always, good selling.